Hey, how you doing? My name is Nolan. I'm from Past Gas by Donut Media. We are the world's number one automotive podcast. That's right. We're a storytelling show. This week, it's part three of our history of Mazda. Last week, we talked about the rotary engine and how they started a little bit of racing. This week, they got a lot more serious with it. They needed to make a big splash in the world stage. They decided to go to Le Mans over there in France and prove that they could keep up with the Europeans and the Americans. They did have a hard time with it, though. It's very intriguing. The rotary engine we talked about last week had some challenges. This is for the real Mazda heads and anybody who's curious about automotive history in general. Find it wherever you get your podcasts. Pass gas. I'll see you there. It's the 1967 Indianapolis 500. Parnelli Jones is expected to slay the competition in his revolutionary STP turbine. But with only four laps to go, a $6 bearing shattered and ruined Parnelli's massive lead. Parnelli's day was over, but AJ Foyt's was taking on a new shine. The second place driver only had to finish the final four laps to win his latest Indy 500. But on his final lap, a voice in his head said, just be careful. At that moment, AJ did something completely out of character. He slowed down. This is a man who had built a career on being brash and going fast. But his gut told him to ease up. And sure enough, when he came off turn four, there was chaos. As AJ said, cars were spinning everywhere. I didn't know who I was going to hit. He didn't hit anyone. (laughs) He made it through the crowd. When the dust settled, A.J. Foyt was the winner of his third Indy 500. How did this fiery Texan write himself into the history books? How did he manage to come back after career-ending injuries? And what made A.J. Foyt so dominant for so long? Today on Pass Gas, the life and times of one of America's most well-known drivers, A.J. Foyt. Welcome to Pass Gas. Nolan's gone, so that was my voice, and uh, that's probably why there were bits in the intro this time. (laughs) I am James Pumphrey, as always, joined by Joe Weber. What up? And we have a special little treat in the building today. Little treat, man. Uh, Nolan's out of town. We don't know where. If you see him, uh, please let us know. Uh, But replacing him is Jeremiah, who I like very much. I like you too, James. Great. Thanks for having me. Um, if you guys don't know Jeremiah, he's a host on our main channel, Hello. our YouTube channel. He's six foot nine, <laughs> and he's got the proportions of Woody from Toy Story. He has mm-hmm. six doctorates. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> he works on stem cells, and he quit to yeah, <laughs> and I quit to do this. He can dunk basketballs. Yep, <laughs> he's probably the coolest, handsomest guy mm. I know. And oh. I also happen to know Zach Joe. <laughs> so, yeah. saying a lot. It's saying a bunch. Well, thank you guys. Thanks for having me. I'm excited. I haven't been here in a while. It's been a moment. I don't think I've done with you You guys or done a No, you came on when James is gone. Yeah, when James is gone. We had a good old time. Yeah. Maybe Nolan's gone. <laughs> yeah. We all are. <laughs> yeah. So, I get yeah. to hang out with you boys. You're always having fun. Oh, also, I'm sure you guys have talked about your award, right? I'm. Con- yeah, I think we thanked the fans a oh. couple of weeks ago. Well, congrats from me to you guys. Our signal. Thanks, that was sick. Yeah, our, our gold, our, <laughs> our bronze, our road, bronze trip, Siggy. road trip Siggy. Yeah, that's true. So thanks for the listeners for voting. It was 100% listener uh, 
voted. And so, hey, thanks for the hardware, guys. Yeah, thanks to you guys my girlfriend it. for voting. <laughs> Couldn't be here without you. <laughs> Um, is your girlfriend a computer who like <laughs> yeah. just mass voted about yeah. yeah Jeremiah you did some racing stuff yesterday right I did I got to ride in an Indy car really super a two seater cool. Indy car I've done that around thermal super really fun that's where I saw Mario Andretti in his underpants <laughs> <laughs> oh that's Whoa, cool it's all coming together now. <laughs> yeah I got to ride super fun like the transmission under your butt is yeah. like insane right? you can feel it like you know, wow. shift really hard. Mm-hmm. It was it was sick, but you know what? It was um, uh, it wasn't like we probably did like one sixty five, one seventy. Yeah, doesn't feel that fast because those cars have so much grip. It's mm-hmm. insane. Yeah. Like it's just it was a lot of fun. Yeah, it wasn't scary at all. I thought I was going to be nervous because you're at, you know, you're letting someone drive a potential death machine and mm-hmm. you have no control over Very it. Very roller coastery experience uh-huh. more yeah. than most car stuff because and it also doesn't register as a car, right? Yeah. Like you're surrounded by stuff and right. like your legs are up here. So tight. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's really hard for tall guys like us to fit in. They're like, move your legs as far forward as possible. And I was like, they're at, they are. And they're like, no, they can't be. And I was like, dude, I'm six <laughs> four. What do you want me to do? I can't. <laughs> That's impossible, sir. <laughs> yeah. But it was a lot of fun. Yeah. Cool, man. Well, uh, you know who is in indie cars a lot? <laughs> AJ Foyt. <laughs> Anthony Joseph or AJ. Foyt Jr. was born in Texas on January 16th, 1935. He was raised in a neighborhood of North Houston called The Heights. That's my favorite sandwich shop. (laughs) By his parents, Emma Foyt and Anthony Tony Foyt Sr. The Heights was a tough neighborhood to grow up in during the 1930s. As AJ described it, right from a kid, you learn to take care of yourself. Or someone would beat the shit out of you. (laughs) (laughs) Tony Sr. and his Air Force buddy, Dale Burt, ran a garage in their local neighborhood and soon had a shop boy and young AJ. After working on the weekdays, Tony and Dale would run their own midget cars on the weekends. AJ wanted in on this racing fun, just like his dad, so Tony built his four-year-old son a ride. That's how AJ Foyt got his first car a miniature red racer with a one-cylinder Briggs & Stratton engine. Young AJ wore out the backyard in his little car, and the seeds of his racing career were planted. That's like Nolan. Like Nolan's dad got him a little race car. A little drag racer. Dude, wanted to. Wanted my parents to get me a little race car. They wouldn't do it. Just to be clear, Nolan had like a (laughs) full-on drag. Yeah. Car when he was a junior dragster, (laughs) like he was going like eighty miles an hour. Yeah, a nitro, yeah, powered lawnmower. (laughs) You want to see Nolan light up? Talk about junior dragsters, and he like, oh man, oh Oh, man, let me tell you. (laughs) The moment Tony Foyt knew his son was really destined for greatness came seven years later in 1946. Tony and Emma Foyt went to Dallas to race one of Tony's midget cars, leaving AJ alone at home. With Tony's other midget car. Can we call them little people cars? <laughs> Le- left to his own devices, AJ managed to get the Ford V8 powered car off its trailer and start it in the backyard. Tony Foyt described the scene when he got back. Uh, the grass was chewed up to pieces and there were tire gouges all around. The swings we had in the yard had been knocked down. <laughs> The only reason 11-year-old AJ quit his joyride was a blowback that set the car ablaze. AJ managed to smother the flames with his shirt 
but burnt his hands in the process. As he later recalled, I reckon my ass was going to hurt worse when my daddy was home. (laughs) Yeah, in in non-1940s context, that's very different. (laughs) (laughs) Now I'm looking forward to it. (laughs) AJ got the car put away, but the damage was obvious. Yet Tony Foyt didn't punish his son. He saw this as the birth of a star. I knew right then that he would have to race. There just wasn't going to be any other way. The next day I told him, if you want to race, all right, race. (laughs) (laughs) But I made him promise to always drive something good. I like that you kind of use the same voice, but added a little bit more warble and Mm -hmm. age to it. Mm -hmm. It was like a direct. His dad. Yeah, yeah. It's like Mel Blanc doing like. Elmer Fudd impression as Bugs Bunny. <laughs> like, it's just genius to watch. Thank you. <laughs> I'm blu- You guys can't. It's an audio format, but you, I'm blushing. Yeah. People didn't know they were going to get a master class in <laughs> video right now. Also, <laughs> this quote is so weird, by the way. Like, you got to promise me you're always going to drive something good. Like, no, nah, I want to drive a crappy car. Yeah, like, <laughs> like, that's a pretty easy promise. Like, <laughs> sure, yeah, of course. What All are you right, talking yeah. about? I'll, I'll do my best. <laughs> By age 17, AJ had dropped out of high school to join his father as a mechanic full-time. Stay in school, guys. While working on other people's cars, he began to dream of building his own. I decided logarithms and Wordsworth weren't going to help my racing career, so I quit school. <laughs> Found a 1939 Ford Coupe for 100 bucks and built it up into a stock car. <laughs> and he soon made his way through the local stock car scene and did so well that his father saved up enough money to buy AJ a Curtis Midget chassis, and then they got the car's four-cylinder Offy engine off a friend's wreck. Offy engines cool. are cool. Offenhauser? Mm-hmm. Going into his first major midget race at 18, with his dad and team behind him, AJ was one of the youngest racers on the grid. But the thought of competing against more experienced drivers didn't phase AJ for a second. He won it all. The trophy dash, his heat, the semi, the final. Everything. The post-final. <laughs> the, ulti- the ultimo. Won the whole stuff. This kid from the wrong side of town managed to beat local hero Tommy Rackley down the stretch in a nail-biter. Kid walked away with the trophy, but Rackley, he wasn't happy about it. Neighborhood lore says that after Rackley and AJ went toe-to-toe on the grid, Rackley wanted to go hand-to-hand and tried to fight the much younger competitor after the race. Oh my God, you lost, dude. AJ was unlike the other drivers he faced in several ways. His clothes stood out, while other drivers might drive in dirty t-shirts aj drove in a red silk shirt <laughs> and immaculate white pants <laughs> like jack white because <laughs> <laughs> he says i want the car and me to look smart <laughs> he looked so smart that other drivers started calling him fancy pants <laughs> he also came from a poor background in a neighborhood where if someone pushed you you push back Coming into the glitz and glam of 1950s racing, AJ felt he had something to prove. That's cool. Dude, silk shirt. Dude, silk shirt, white pants. I mean, yeah. that's, a, that's a move. I got a white racing suit for high-low, mm-hmm. and I immediately <laughs> felt <Yeah>. so cool. <laughs> yeah. Did you get it dirty right away? 
I don't use it. <laughs> imagine if, imagine if it was silk, where you're just like, "Hey, this stuff burns to your skin and it <laughs> catches on fire." But I don't care. Is that silk? Does that? Yeah, it, like polyester silk stuff like that. Yeah, it's Ugh. not not good. Yeah, but answer me this: mm-hmm. your shirt made out of worms. <laughs> <laughs> worm poop. <laughs> you got worm worm poop shirt. <laughs> Didn't think so. At 20 years old, AJ was traveling around the country picking up races wherever he could. His strength in midget car racing got him a chance at sprint cars. In his first IMCA sprint car race at the Red River Fairgrounds in Fargo, North Dakota, AJ ran away with the pole and the win. The very next day, small-time team owner Les Vaughn had AJ driving his offie in Minnesota. AJ didn't have much trouble picking up rides after that, soon driving for duo John Wills and famed mechanic Wally Meskowski. Racing for them gave AJ even more chances at driving, and by 1958, it was time for the big show. I said, damn, I'm sick of this little show. <laughs> I want to wear a silk shirt too, god <laughs> <laughs> Pants and <laughs> pants and a shirt. You got a match. <laughs> it seems like you guys think he only cares about his attire. <laughs> I gotta live up to my name, Fancy Pants. <laughs> Some might take it as a slight. <laughs> I am honored by. <laughs> I must carry this on. <laughs> Three years earlier, when AJ was 20, he and a buddy drove up from Houston to watch the 1955 Indy 500 from the grandstands. Now, here he was, sitting behind the wheel of the Dean Van Lines special for his first run in the Indy 500. The Dean Van Lines was considered one of the best cars in the field, a Kuzma chassis with a 274 cubic inch Offenhauser four-cylinder engine. Jimmy Bryan had driven the car at the year's previous Indy and finished third. After Bryan left Clint Bronner's team, 23-year-old AJ was given the reins. AJ was the youngest driver of the race that year, and several drivers offered to show him the ropes, including the previous year's pole winner, Pat (laughs) O'Connor. O'Connor led young AJ around the track for a few laps, which AJ never forgot. AJ managed to qualify 12th on the grid, but the race started in tragedy. On the first lap, Dick Rathman and Ed Elysian brushed each other off, causing a 15-car accident. Foyt was able to spin out of the damage, but sadly, the veteran who showed him the ropes, Pat O'Connor, died. That's sad. That is sad. Miraculously, no other drivers were seriously hurt in the pileup. On the next lap, AJ saw the flaming wreck and knew something horrible had happened. I say to myself, AJ, is this tough or not? I raced on. What? <laughs> <laughs> is he talking about himself being tough or the race being tough or the profession? Man, this guy's an enigma. <laughs> <laughs> AJ had his own accident on lap 148 when a water hose broke and caused him to spin out, narrowly missing a wall. AJ was awarded 16th and a valuable lesson. The 1950s and 60s could be considered some of the most hazardous years for racing. Deaths were not uncommon, as AJ's first Indy 500 proves. But AJ wasn't going to let that fear stop him. One reason AJ became so successful was because of his now famous relationship with his chief mechanic, George Binotti. Yeah. I've been naughty. <laughs> George <laughs> Listen, Santa, I've been naughty. <laughs> Benati hailed from San Francisco and made his name as a midget car mechanic in the Bay Area. 
He eventually made his way to IndyCar and was building rigs for the Indy 500 in the 1950s. Bonatti was a racing giant in his own right and one of the most successful Indy chief mechanics ever. But by 1960, George was sharing a pit with AJ and the two helped cement their legacies together. Remembering George Bonatti, AJ recalled, He was such a great mechanic and he had such fast race cars and I was just a snot-nosed kid coming up. (laughs) A snot-nosed kid who could drive. (laughs) In their first year together, AJ won four IndyCar races with Bonatti before the team went to the Indy 500. That's a good mechanic. Mm -hmm. Small hands. In the 1961 Indy 500, Bonatti had AJ running a 1961 Trevis 3 chassis with an offy engine. We've been saying offy a lot. It's uh, short for Offenheiser, which is a very famous engine manufacturer. The car was known as the Bose Seal Fast Special. Parnelli Jones and Eddie Sachs looked like early front runners, but an oil spill took out Jones, giving AJ an opening to catch up to Sachs. The two of them were neck and neck as the laps wound down, but on a scheduled pitch stop, AJ's refueling mechanism malfunctioned. AJ would have to pit again, but with the way he was driving, Sachs never knew his competitor was at a disadvantage. The lack of fuel inadvertently made AJ's car faster, and he was able to use that to his advantage. Still, he took another pit stop at lap 184 to get a quick infusion of gas. Sachs was still in the lead until lap 197 when he pulled into the pits. AJ coasted on fumes across the finish line, beating Sachs by 8.28 seconds. It was his first Indy 500 win. The kid from the wrong side of the tracks drove strong, drove angry, and proved himself. And this was just the beginning. I looked up um, Bose Seal Fast, so they were a tube repair. Oh. Yeah, it's crazy to me that That's car sponsor. tires used to have tubes in them. Yeah. <laughs> We just drove on those, like, Model A replica tires, Mm -hmm. and we, like, blew one out, Mm -hmm. and a freaking tube came out. (laughs) (laughs) Just like on a bicycle. Yeah. It's like, what? That's weird. So we made a video about it on our YouTube channel. You guys should check it out. But, yeah, we put Model A tires on our Miata and drove it around thermal, and it was, like, ridiculous and kind of dumb, but it did make me want to drive an old race car like yeah. that, mm-hmm. like seeing the wheels in front of you is so sick. Yeah. And yeah. I just, you feel like the great Gatsby. <laughs> yeah. So I want to throw in like goggles uh-huh. and a scarf and like a little leather helmet. Yeah. That seemingly has no point to me <laughs> uh, other than looking cool. It's for bugs. It's for bugs. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you crash, you're going to die. Yeah. You're gonna, it's like, Open real wheel racing when it was literally, yeah, the most dangerous. Like, yeah. hey, we're going to make the fastest cars we can, and your head is the top of it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Why don't we put a bar behind it? No, no, no. no. It'll no. slow us down. <laughs> yeah. You got a head. You got yeah. a head. <laughs> your head is the top of it. You got the leather cap on. But that's, I mean, beyond like the leather cap and stuff, until very recently, like people were just like, Wait, you don't want your head to be the top of it? Yeah. Uh, I don't think I like this sport anymore. <laughs> like, everyone racing today in F1 has pretty much has raced with their head being the top of it. And right. had to speak up and be like, hey, I don't really want my head to be top of it. <laughs> <laughs> and whenever you would say that, people would be like, 
You're not down, dude. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I miss old racing. Yeah. yeah. You got an attitude problem, dude. <laughs> it was like when they were putting the halo in the F1 car. Yeah, cars. that's what I'm referring yeah. to. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, and like so much immediately, backlash. Immediately, like, uh, Max's car landed on Lewis, and they're like, oh, yeah, good thing we had that there. <laughs> yeah. That would have been really bad if his oh, head was the top. So yeah. awkward. The whole car would have <laughs> smashed on his head. Yeah. yeah. If you're loving this F1 bant, Check out our other podcast, DRS, Donut Racing Show. We talk a lot about the current Formula One season. It's about to kick off, so be sure to listen to that first episode. Hosted by Nolan Sykes, who... You guys know. I don't know where he is. (laughs) He gone. We'll get back to more past guests, but right now, a word from our sponsors. Despite their successes together, AJ and Benatti clashed. The brash cowboy racer and his California-born genius engineer were constantly at each other's throats. These two men, excellent in their respective roles with huge competitive streaks, did not take any setback well. It was at the following year's Indy 500 where the two had one of their biggest blow-ups. Running in third to Parnelli Jones, one of AJ's wheels came loose and shot him into a scary spin. AJ walked away fine and right into the pit to scream at his engineer. Bonatti severed ties with AJ after that for a little bit. By the next year, the two were back together. Does that mean he quit, or does that mean he had enough pull on the team to be like, you're out of here, age? I think he probably quit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think he was probably like, I've had enough. He's from San Francisco. I've had enough. <laughs> dude i'm telling you guys you're getting a master class here yeah i've had enough of your crud dude i'm going back to hate ashbury going back to yeah some real cool cats up there yeah world's changing dude i can't listen to jazz because i'm allergic to Cats, daddy. <laughs> you guys sound like San Diego guys. <laughs> I don't even know what a what a San Francisco sounds hey, like. Hey, man. <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. Okay, there you go. Hey, man. <laughs> Later. <laughs> hey, man. Later. I don't really Hello, like goodbye. your attitude, age. <laughs> this wasn't my fault, man. <laughs> But Nadi didn't take the outburst personally. AJ's temper extended to almost everyone he interacted with. This guy sounds great. Even from his early days in Houston to his starts in sprint cars, AJ was getting into fights. Here we go. I'm glad we workshopped this. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) AJ's not, uh, (laughs) let's just say, the easiest guy in the world to get along with, Bonatti said of his longtime partner. But I guess we work better together than we do apart. (laughs) One of AJ's most famous scuffles happened in 1963 in Williams Grove, Pennsylvania. AJ felt that another driver, Johnny White, cut him off on purpose during the turns. Like in the Isn't turn? Is that the point? It's <laughs> like what you do in your race. So yeah. what's your favorite part of doing the turns? <laughs> uh, <laughs> he didn't use his turn signal. <laughs> Yeah, I like uh, doing the turns. That's like, the best part of racing. Uh, yeah, you I know, love, I love racing. Yeah, doing the turns. That <laughs> guy cut me off while I was doing the turn. Yeah. I was trying to. That's do the my turn. favorite part. Oh, <laughs> uh, like going fast. 
Officials later said that AJ punched Johnny White in the pits after the race and suspended AJ from sprint car racing. AJ disagreed with their assessment and went to the USAC board with a well-prepared defense. He was reinstated. To his credit, AJ didn't actually hit him. Instead, as AJ put it, I had him around the head pretty good. <laughs> what? <laughs> I was holding him all right, but I didn't hit him. Another driver who saw the tussle, Roger McCluskey. That's a good name. Yeah. Mm, Roger name. McCluskey backed up AJ's account. Uh, AJ didn't hit White. If he had, he would have had torn his head off. Wow. AJ can't hit nobody. AJ's too strong. If you would have hit that guy, he'd be in a freaking airplane by now. <laughs> AJ would not be disrespected. He had to make space for himself in a sport that wasn't made for a poor kid from Texas. His willingness to stick up for himself rightfully or wrongfully helped define his career. At the end of the day, AJ's ferocity was part of what made him such a great racer. As a driver, he was brave and willing to go for the kill. When you said he was punched in the pits, I th his armpits. Yeah, I was thinking I was, armpits, mm -hmm. and I was like, "Damn, that would hurt." If it had four wheels and an engine, AJ would drive it. With his start in midget racing and upgrade to sprint cars, AJ soon turned to NASCAR. My daddy never liked me running NASCAR. He used to say, "You running those damn taxi cabs again?" <laughs> but you got some pretty tough guys in that lot. And I enjoyed going in their backyard and trying to beat them. Not with my fists, of course. I would have taken their dang head off. They'd be on Spaceship Mountain right now. <laughs> it's not fighting if you just grab them. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like a lot of... Ask Roger. <laughs> Roger was there. Yeah, he saw it. Yeah, man. I'll tell you what. AJ would have just put a hole straight through his head if yeah. he would have hit him, man. So I don't know, man. It looked like you punched him. <laughs> I don't know what more evidence you need. He's standing here. <laughs> AJ got his first NASCAR victory in the 1964 Firecracker 400 in a Ray Nichols Dodge almost immediately after his second Indy 500 win. A breezy race where AJ coasted across the finish line after leading for 146 laps in his Watson 4 with the Offie engine. But it would also be in NASCAR where AJ had his first major accident. In the Motor Trend 500, AJ's brakes fell apart. Mm. <laughs> That's not good. Hey, man, I put I put them together, dude. Dude, Roger saw me. <laughs> what a what a weird way for brakes to fail. They just fell apart. Yeah, well, they're probably drums back then. Yeah. Uh, maybe. Mm. Yeah. What year? Sixty-four. Yeah. Sixty-four. Yeah. To avoid causing damage to anyone else, AJ drove off the track and down a steep drop. Next thing, I was waking up in a hospital with a broken back, a punctured lung, a smashed heel, and several other bones broke. AJ said, recalling the accident. It was the first time I'd really hurt myself in a racing car. AJ was told by the doctors that he would never race again. True to form, AJ refused to believe them. Eleven weeks later, AJ raced in the Phoenix USAC from pole, only stopping because of an oil leak. And a week after that, he was racing in Atlanta for NASCAR. He's like Bo Jackson. <laughs> Deion Sanders. Just mm -hmm. flipping between sports. Mm -hmm. The story goes that during that race, he crashed his own car into a wall and needed a medical checkup. After the health crew deemed him fine, the Wood Brothers subbed AJ into their car because their driver had passed out from heat exhaustion. So AJ won the race for the Wood Brothers 12 weeks after being told he'd never race again. 
At age 30, AJ was dominating in almost every event he entered, even in the face of huge adversity. Part of his success came from his burning desire to win, and partly to give his inner child, born in the Great Depression, a better life. When asked in an interview why he would run five different cars five weekends in a row, AJ responded, Well, I needed the money. I have some pretty expensive <laughs> tastes. <laughs> have you? Do you know how much silk pants and shirts are? You know how much worm poop it made to, <laughs> took to make this shirt? AJ they don't call me fancy pants for nothing. Also, dry cleaning. <laughs> you dry clean dirty it, right away. It's expensive. <laughs> yeah. You wear white stuff at the racetrack, you're going to have to pay for it. <laughs> AJ would take on races even with minuscule purses. In 1961, the same year he won his first Indy 500, AJ failed to qualify for a midget race at Terry Hop Action Track, where the winner's prize was 600 bucks. Instead of packing it in, he paid the 25th place driver 100 bucks for his last place starting position. AJ battled his way to the first place from last and took home $500 in profits, saying, I figured it was a pretty good gamble. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> you make, uh, mm -hmm. make 500, make 400 bucks? It's just like hustle. Yeah. yeah. That mindset of no race too small helped AJ cut his teeth and fatten his wallet. By 1967, in his early 30s, AJ was already considered a racing legend, and that year, he'd kick it up a notch. Nice. Here's where we pick back up from the opening with AJ's 1967 Indy 500. After Parnelli Jones's day came to an abrupt end, AJ was expected to have an easy path to victory, but a four-car pileup just after turn four almost ruined his day, too. If it weren't for the voice in his head telling him to slow down, his race would have ended 100 yards from the finish line. After that thrilling last lap, AJ accomplished what only three other drivers had done up to that point, a third victory at the Indy 500. And a few weeks later, he flew to France to run a different kind of race, the Le Mans 24 Hours. What are these snails? <laughs> Where are my steaks? <laughs> <laughs> they got steaks in France. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's literally <laughs> like one of their main things, isn't it? Yeah, they love steaks. <laughs> yeah. Freaks. They also love snails, though. <laughs> they do. They yeah. do. Okay, all right. You got it there, Joe. Maybe that's why he need to make so much money. You know, snail, snails are expensive. For his first time at Le Mans, AJ had been recruited by his friend Dan Gurney to join him at Ford. At about 2 a.m. when AJ's shift was supposed to be over, the pit crew told the driver that they couldn't find Dan to take over. So I had to go back out again, <laughs> driving into the dawn. When it's really dangerous because the fog moves in and you can't see. Man, I was tired. <laughs> Dan was taller than me. His arms were that long. I had to drive stretched out to fit his cockpit position and my arms were killing me. Dan told me later he was asleep, but I told him, damn you, Gurney, you did it on purpose, you son of a gun. <laughs> then I punched him in the atmosphere. <laughs> <laughs> After Mario Andretti's Ford crashed around 4 a.m., A.J. and Dan had little trouble driving their car to victory. A.J. had done what no other driver had done then or since. He won the Indy 500 and Le Mans in the same year. Wow. Damn. AJ never returned to Le Mans, claiming that he didn't have anything else to prove. That's kind of true. That's big. Two big ones in one year. But AJ had more to prove elsewhere. 
Back in NASCAR, AJ was finding great success racing with the Wood Brothers, Glenn and Leonard. Glenn and Leonard Wood. <laughs> Glenn Wood sounds like a street name. <laughs> the three shared a love of cars and money. <laughs> like us, guys. Right? Cars and money. The Wood Boys are speaking yeah. my language. You like cars too? <laughs> oh, we should be friends. In 1971, during the Ontario 500 in California, AJ led the race but was battling a big vibration in the car. He told his crew he might have to pit, but Glenn Wood said, AJ, this race pays $150 a lap in lap money. The vibration went away. We went on and won the race. (laughs) The team also shared a deep desire to win. AJ and the Wood brothers took home the 1972 Daytona 500 win, after he led for nearly the entire race. He beat the second-place driver by more than a complete lap, and the third and fourth by almost six. Jeez. That's embarrassing. Dude, it's so embarrassing. <laughs> <laughs> like, well, here he comes again. Yeah. yeah. I thought I was doing pretty good. I'm in third. Right. <laughs> the way they have the rules set up now in NASCAR, I don't think it's possible for you to have passed second lap and then not, like, get a what's called, like, the lucky dog they get to come back around and unlap themselves oh that's cool yeah back in the day they were just like oh if you're gonna be bad you just deal with it because you're gonna get lapped you can finish if you want (laughs) (laughs) aj had been professionally racing for almost 20 years by this point and was still notching new victories he had also become a reliable brand name for several companies in the racing world including goodyear tires despite not always thinking the highest of the company He had also become a reliable brand name for several companies in the racing world, including Goodyear Tires, despite not always thinking the highest of the company. In 1974, on a bet with Parnelli Jones, AJ entered the Hoosier 100, a night race on a dirt track at the Indiana State Fairgrounds. That sounds like a pretty lowbrow for him at this point. Mm -hmm. But you can't turn down a bet by Parnelli. He didn't feel like he was getting enough traction with his Goodyear Tires alone, so he put Firestones on the back and kept the Goodyears on the front. Well, I won both 50-mile parts, and Leo Mail, the Goodyear competition's boss, got really mad. And he said, AJ, you are embarrassing us. And I said to him, listen, the Goodyears came home first, and the Firestones chased them all night. <laughs> and That's then he just cool. high-fived. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> boom, boom. Yeah. Fireworks went off. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty funny. <laughs> uh, despite racing in every Indy 500 since his 1967 win, AJ wanted to win his fourth. He got close to the checkered flag in 1976 at age 41, but Johnny Rutherford was declared the winner after Rain ended the race early. AJ took second. The following year, however, he'd have a chance to come back while driving a Coyote 75 with his own Foyt V8 engine. Foyt started in fourth place on the grid. After his car ran out of fuel early on, he was at least 30 seconds behind race leader Gordon Johncock. Nice. Ah, foreshadowing. Mm-hmm. But turning up his turbo boost, risking the overall health of the engine, AJ managed to gain back seconds on each lap. After the final pit, AJ was seven seconds behind Johncock. Luckily for AJ, Johncock's crankshaft blew on lap 187. <laughs> 
My shaft. <laughs> <laughs> Someone blew my shaft. <laughs> With a 30-second lead on the next man, AJ brought it home and became the first four-time winner of the Indianapolis 500. Nice. No one else has ever crossed that four-win mark, but three other names have joined AJ. Helio Castroneves, Rick Mears, and Al Unzer. What a group to be a part of. We'll be right back with more of this story, but first, a word from our sponsors. AJ was still racing at an impressive level into his mid-40s, racking up wins in USAC Indy and Stock Car and won the IROC title in 1976 and 77. But by 1981, AJ was forced to slow down. On lap 80 of the Michigan 500, 46-year-old AJ crashed into a wall of the second turn. The right side of his car was practically sheared off, and with it, a considerable part of AJ's arm. Mm. Ouch. What is your idea of considerable? <laughs> Any part of my Any arm part, is considerable. Yeah. yeah, at least one of the arm bones. Because <laughs> you got two. You can do with one. Mm -hmm. He was knocked unconscious in the wreck and came to at the hospital. AJ had suffered a compound fracture, another career-ending accident. I mean, you could wear a cast, right? Come back in six months? And he's 46 at this oh, point. I'm sure he's like, hey, listen. Yeah. Okay. Okay. I can probably stop doing yeah. that. Yeah, he's 46. It's also like the early 80s. Yeah. I take off my silk racing suit, put on my silk <laughs> business suit. Yeah. <laughs> they would just like spit on your open wounds and be like, it'll fix yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> like doctors would be like, good luck. <laughs> <laughs> you think it'll hit? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know, man. 50-50. <laughs> I mean, it's going to be messed up yeah. for a long time. Forever. <laughs> it's a waiting game at this point. It's a considerable amount of your arm. <laughs> it would be his last race of 1981. But there was no way AJ's career was over. <laughs> Hang it up. <laughs> <laughs> he went back to his home in Houston and regained his arm strength by painting miles of fence at his ranch. Dude, okay. that's the most friggin' Texas way yeah. to, like, rehab. Yeah. Hey, uh, yeah. you want to go into this rehab facility? No, I'm just nah. going to paint fences. I'm going to slaughter a bull and paint my fence with his blood. <laughs> AJ returned to NASCAR the following spring and kept up his multi-decade Indy 500 qualifying streak that May. The Indy qualification was bittersweet, however. Though AJ was glad to be back driving, his mother, Emma passed away the night he qualified. He would go on to drive in the race, but the loss of his mother was a painful one. Sadly, two years later, also on the same day that he qualified for the Indy 500, he lost his father, Tony, to cancer. Weird, isn't it? The way they both passed away. AJ recalled, They lived to see me make the race, and uh, that was it. I came home, talked to them, they closed their eyes. I mean, it's not that weird. You're racing every day. <laughs> like, it's going to happen. Significant yeah. things are going to happen when you're racing because yeah, so, you're doing it all the time. Sometimes, like, <laughs> five times in a weekend. Yeah. Dude, don't take, this away, don't take this yeah. away from AJ, Joe. Sorry. It's, <laughs> yeah, it's weird. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> this is like Christian doing into a very heartfelt moment. And Joe's just like, well, the numbers mean that. Like, they just bound to happen. What, are the, odds, what, are, the, what are the odds? Very you know? good. Very good odds. <laughs> AJ's family had meant so much for him for so long. 
His father had even become his chief mechanic. Despite AJ's tough guy persona, he cared deeply about his family and the loss of his parents, who were there for him in so many ways, and he found it difficult to power through. Just, you know, like both of them. Like, I had lunch that day. (laughs) You know? It's funny, right? What are the odds? (laughs) AJ's last major career victory came right after his 50th birthday in 1985. Co-driving with Bob... (laughs) What a coincidence. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus Christ. 50 years old? He's 50 years old. We've said 14 times now that he's had career-ending injuries. It's just like, I feel like we've been lying. (laughs) Co-driving with Bob Wellick in a Porsche 962, AJ won the 12 hours of Sebring and became the only driver ever to have won the Indy 500, Daytona 500, 24 hours of Daytona, 24 hours of Sebring, and the 12 hours of Sebring. Though AJ would keep racing for nearly a decade more after the Sebring win. This is a joke, right? You guys are just screwing with us. Like, cars are so different. I know. (laughs) Over a 60-year span, cars change so much. Ferdinand Alonso's like 39, and we're like, okay, Grandpa, one more year. (laughs) Gosh. LeBron James is my age. Yeah. Like, people were like, he is so old. He's over the hill. Do you see his hairline? That means he can't play basketball because his hairline. Yeah. <laughs> he would never have the same level of success he saw in his earlier days. As journalist Preston Lerner for Haggerty, as journalist Preston Lerner for Haggerty put it, Fort tarnished his reputation by continuing to race until he was well past his sell-by date. A lot of fans were familiar with Foyt's exploits without appreciating why he's a legend (laughs) although he wasn't winning like he used to he still had the same fire in him i guess back then uh i just lived from race to race even if i ran in second and felt like i could have won i'd be disgusted with myself until i won another race (laughs) what do you mean back then when you're back when you were 60 (laughs) (laughs) that desire never went away and so aj kept racing one of the scariest moments in aj's career happened during a kart race at Road America in 1990. Racing from the back of the grid, AJ tried to make up speed coming around turn one, a 90-degree turn off a long straightaway. But his brake pedal broke away from underneath him. The car skidded for, the car skidded off the track, past the catch, and down a hill. Not his first hill. <laughs> this time, AJ was conscious for the whole thing. I thought to myself... <laughs> this is going to be bad. And it was bad. Took them 45 minutes to cut me out. I got so bored. Both my legs were broke. My feet were back on my face. My toes were all crushed. Everything was screwed up. But I never lost consciousness. I said to the race doctor, you got a big hammer? Hit me over the head. Put me out of my misery. (laughs) (laughs) That's pretty funny. His toes were by his face. Yeah, everything was all f***ed up. (laughs) Jeez. If the next paragraph says that this guy heals and races again. Does. Probably. (laughs) Again, there was talk of retirement. With an accident this violent, (laughs) it was hard to imagine AJ walking right, let alone racing again. They talked about amputating one of my smashed legs. 
But eight months later, I was back at Indy. Oh, my God. <laughs> this guy said. can't quit. They were expecting me to be in a wheelchair or at least on crutches and riding around a big dog or something. But I managed to walk to my car, managed to get myself in it, and I qualified in the front row. What? What the hell, man? That's nuts. Drivers know the risks anytime they get behind the wheel. And in AJ's time, there was a lot of risk. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You went through six decades of race cars. I crashed in every decade. Yeah. Was about to retire yeah. and then hobbled back to the starting line. I'm not, I'm not, yeah. don't have enough. They need like tire warmers for all his joints. <laughs> it was like. <laughs> He's like the knight from Monty Python. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he came up in some of the most dangerous years to be a driver and managed to make it through them. Back then, a lot of my friends died. AJ said in an interview, You had to be brave or you weren't fast, but you didn't win races by being stupid. If you ran out of brains, you got killed. <laughs> or you lay looking at a hospital wall for a long time. I've got false knees, false hips, burns, scars. All over my body. <laughs> I guess I paid the price. The price for always wanting to win. <laughs> mm-hmm. AJ finally retired from racing full time in 1991. <laughs> yeah, round of applause. Good job. Though he would make a few appearances over the next few years, including <laughs> the 1992 Indy 500. Come oh, yeah. on. Come on. I clapped. You, what the heck? You, you got me. Including the 1992 Indy 500 in his 35th consecutive start, the most anyone has ever done. That's pretty impressive. Now, despite his upbringing, despite his accidents, A.J. Foyt wrote history that drivers today are still aspiring to. AJ will be remembered as one of the greatest racers of all time. His success across midget cars, stock cars, and sprint cars is almost unparalleled. His personality is as famous as his driving and his temper as vast as his skills. And in both cases, he had competitors beat by miles. AJ's underprivileged background helped define his future goals, but he wasn't going to let himself stay there. As his career progressed, people would say that AJ was obsessed with winning. Yeah. But when asked about this by Sports Illustrated, AJ responded, Obsession? Who, me? I'm not driving by obsession. If there's a driving to be done around here, old AJ will do it himself. Obsession is going to have to get a car of his own. (laughs) (laughs) What the AJ's ethos was less win at all costs and more get out in front and stay out in front. And that ethos paid off. In his own words, it's been a wonderful career. I don't think nobody's had a greater, better career than AJ <laughs> Floyd. He's like uh, Dewey Cox. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> all right, we got a little fan mail. This comes from uh, Drake. Oh, sick. Oh, nice. <laughs> oh, thanks, nice. Drake. <laughs> didn't even know he listened to the show. All right, cool. <laughs> Drake from Brazil, Indiana. <laughs> <laughs> Brazil, Toronto is tr- Toronto. <laughs> oh, it's In- North Indiana. Brazil, Indiana, Toronto. Oh. <laughs> That's where Drake's from. Hey, guys, just needed to tell you guys I love the show, and I've been listening every week since I found out about your podcast. <laughs> Thanks, Drake. <laughs> now on to the subject of this email. Around episode 145 or 150, 
It was sort of a running joke that James always had to read all the deaths and that he has read about 90% of all these deaths in the show. I revisited every single episode of Past Gas from the beginning, and I am here to give the closest numbers what? I can to the actual amount of deaths each host has read. This is 200 hours of research. <laughs> Over. Get this guy a job. Yeah. <laughs> Please keep in mind, this list is extremely subjective, as it was up to my judgment on whether or not a death would count. For example... In the very first episode, when James read that over 600,000 Italians died in World War I, I did not count it, as it was not an exact number, but I did count things like the death toll at Fordlandia rose to 270 in 1930. Also, wow. if a host read a death and then another host mentioned a <laughs> death later in the episode, I would count it for both of them. Whoa. Okay. Okay. Fair. Okay. That's <laughs> fair. <laughs> However... If James, for example, read the death of Enzo Ferrari and then mentioned it a second time in the same episode, I would only count that death once. Valid. Okay. Finally, I would count the same death multiple times as long as it was mentioned in separate episodes. For oh, example, wow. Henry Ford's death has been mentioned several times throughout all the episodes of Past Gas, and each time it was read, as long as it was in a separate episode, it would count. Oh, my God. Now, on to the numbers that I have as of episode 171. <laughs> uh, do we want to start lowest to highest? Start low, yeah. Mm -hmm. Jeremiah, you've read two deaths. <laughs> nice. Which is a lot considering yeah. the number of <laughs> Have been on one time on. before yeah. or two? Two, I think. Yeah, I'll take it. <laughs> Joe, you've read 186 deaths. Wow. That's a also lot. surprising because I feel like I've only read, you know, like been a reader two or three times oh it's it says mention death oh yeah uh nolan got the first two deaths he's at 898 and james me uh has 1253 death mentions yeah in this show uh thank you guys if you took the time to read all this and i will also send a follow-up email <laughs> at episode 200 where i've decided i will finally stop counting <laughs> and <stop laughs> focusing on all the deaths in past gas please stop yeah please. i will also include episode ideas that i have that i won't include in this email because it's already pretty long <laughs> love from brazil indiana drake drake i am Dude. at a loss that's right a lot now. of work that's man. a lot of work man I feel like we should work. send you like 75 bucks. For doing that. <laughs> like you should get a degree. Yeah. yeah. Like you should get some sort you should of get You're the honorary hobby. Status, <laughs> statistician of past gas. Like yeah. that, you should get uh, college credits. Yes. For we'll, all of that. We'll, we're sending you one college credit. Yeah, you Bam. get one college credit, Donut University. <laughs> uh, thank you guys for listening to this episode. Follow the boys at... Jeremiah Burton at Joe G. Weber. Follow me at James Pumphrey. Uh, we have a YouTube channel called Donut Media. We also sell a bunch of shirts and stuff. Donutmedia.com. Uh, yeah. Bye.